It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Hey, it's another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, based in Greensboro, Georgia, but online everywhere at livingworth.com. Today we're talking about demographics, inflation, and dollars. We'll explain what all that is in just a few moments. But Brian, good to talk with you after a little bit of a respite. How you been? Yeah, doing great, Walter. Uh, Actually, Greensboro and beyond, including your neighborhood. I am headed your direction now that you're out in Colorado. Is that right? When, where, how? What's going on? I'm putting together a overlanding trip. I found a company in Colorado, they're, they're between Grand Junction and um, like Vail or Denver, basically. Okay. I was searching for overland vehicles or off-roading vehicles, not not the extreme Jeep kind, but the ones that have the camping and you kind of rigged up for like adventuring for multiple days in a row. So in early May, I've got, right now we've got five people, three vehicles, and we're going to rendezvous in Grand Junction and then take this probably about 160-mile corridor that goes, depending on if the, the snowpack has melted, that will determine where we can get on the trail. But it's about 160 miles from, you know, Western Colorado going into Moab uh, in, in over like the LaSalle mountain range. It's going to be awesome. And because we're at four, we had, or because we're at five, we've had one drop out. I have to throw it out. If you're looking for something to do, Walter, we're coming to your neighborhood and we've got oh, an open seat. Oh, man. Ooh, this sounds it's fun. Send turnkey. The it's, it's like totally, totally equipped. You just show up and they've got the refrigeration, the stoves and the camping gear and all, all that kind of stuff. So you just buy food and go. Yeah. If you want a rendezvous, we will be in your neighborhood. Very fun. Let's see what we can do to make it happen. That sounds like a great plan. Uh, well, uh, we uh, will keep you up to date as that trip approaches and look for full reports. Uh, maybe we can do a dual report if uh, we're able to make that come together there, Brian. And I know we've got a great show on the way today, so let's turn our page to the financial side of the podcast. And interesting title today, Demographics, Inflation, Dollars, some good buzzwords that we all tend to hear, I think, when we talk about financial stuff, retirement, anything like that. How are we going to bring all this together today? Well, last time we spoke, I was telling you about the book that I was reading by Peter Zihan. Uh, the title was The End of the World is Just the Beginning. Yes. And holy cow, the, the more I get into that book and, and listen to and re-listen to and, and put together everything he's talking about, can't recommend that enough. If, if people want to really get a handle on and grasp you know, how we got here, what's happening geopolitically, he, he, energy, transportation, demographics, all of those things are interplaying in the economy, what's happening in the world and and all those things, which obviously affects all of our uh, portfolios, our futures, our our financial security, our lifestyle. So the one I really honed in on and have been captivated by is the, the demographics. And this takes me back to another book that came out in the late 90s. It might have been 98, 99, right at the, the heyday of the, the dot-com bubble and the, the stock market rallying up. And uh, David Elias is the name. He came out with a book called Dow 40,000. I forget where the Dow was. At the, maybe we were at 10,000 or something like that. So it was a huge, bold prediction. And if you're going to sell books, you know, I think that's probably a good way to go. Right. Give you a title that just 
draws people in. Yeah, bold bold's not a bad way to go. And at the same time, it's it's easily puts people on the either defensive or they negate the idea at oh Dow forty thousand, yeah, that's a quadruple. Well, basic math. If the if the Dow averages nine, ten percent, you're gonna double every seven or eight years. If you're at ten thousand, you go to twenty and you go to forty, you know, that it, it wasn't as bold a prediction as it or as an outlandish a prediction as as you might think. But what he didn't factor in uh, obviously, it was the dot com bubble and the financial crisis and, and all those hits that we took along the way, but but that that's his prediction was off because we didn't hit forty thousand. You know, we're in the thirties right now. But what the argument that he was making was that we're going to hit forty thousand, and then the baby boomers. And I mean, we've been hearing about the baby boomers, you know, for what we're going on 50, 60 years that they have been the uh, tail that wags the dog, or they call it the, the pig in the python. It's this demographic bubble that has reshaped. Uh, it was education and uh, school capacity, and then it was people entering the workforce, and then uh, demand as they were in you know child-having years and buying houses and things like that. They really have just driven so many of the shifts and imbalances to our economy over the last 50 years it's all the play that we've we've gotten well they're they're all reaching or are in retirement years so so just to go back you know boomers were born in from 1946 to 1964 so so that period right after world war ii into the mid 60s well all of those people would now be 59 to 77. So roughly two thirds of them, let's say, have retired or, or passed that retirement age, and you know another five years or so, they'll have earned out of their peak earning years. They'll be in retirement mode. And what this David Elias was claiming was is that as they hit retirement, they're going to shift all of their assets out of the stock market and into you know cash, CDs, treasury bonds, all the really safe assets. And that may not be his his main prediction, but that was that was kind of one of the the themes that he was talking about. And I remember hearing and seeing about the book at the time, and I thought, man, that's that doesn't quite sound right, seem right. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine that one little cohort, not little, but one you know, significant cohort could could absolutely you know, shift the market, the capital base so much so that it would be a drag on on the market. And I don't know that I still totally subscribe to that that theory but if you look at a certain wealth level there is going to be a certain group that definitely needs to do that like as you retire and, and Walter you remember we did the uh, the rules of thumb podcast oh sure yeah absolutely well so one of the rules of thumb was that the more you know, the older you get the more conservative you need to be in your portfolio and that's true to an extent, but there's a point at which if you have funded all of the things that you need, predictable cash flow, long-term care, emergency fund, uh, I would make the opposite argument and say that the older you get, the less conservative you need to be. Because if you're, you know, and we've talked about this from from income planning standpoint, if you're in your 50s and or say 60s and you're just entering retirement, you want to travel, you want to do stuff, you're... Maybe spending time and money on on the grandkids. 
you need a certain amount of cash, cash flow, predictable income to make all that happen. But if you're 95 and you're sitting on a $2 million portfolio, let's say, how much cash, how much CD and treasury bond exposure and you know ultra conservative positions do you really need? You need a maybe some long-term care help, but you're not spending, you're not consuming as much. It, it, it's all going towards you know potentially long-term care. Your house is probably paid for. You don't need to have 90% of your portfolio in cash and bonds at that point. You're looking at an inheritance, leaving some money long-term. So I would argue that you could actually go down to build in a, a few years worth of cash, you know, five or 10 if you want to, and keep the rest of your portfolio invested for your heirs. So, so when you when you hear broad advice like that, yeah, if you have a half a million dollars and, and maybe you do need to be all uh, conservative with it and, and make sure it's protected. But for my clients, if if you're dealing with you know million millions and um, have more of a legacy mindset, I, I don't know that you're going to just liquidate your entire portfolio. But for the sake of argument, let let's say they all did. All of the capital base, all of the the money that is going towards uh, you know new IPOs, research and development, new companies that are coming along that that need access to capital, it could dramatically affect the innovation, industrial expansion, and the the, the things that a, a growing and, and healthy economy might need. So now that we're actually at this point where majority of the boomers are retired. And then we had uh, this bust in the population with the Gen Xers. And then we've had a echo boom with the millennials. And then you're, you're kind of seeing a, a decline with the, the Gen Z. It's really going to be interesting how this impacts Social Security, pensions. I've spent some time looking at, or I've spent more time than I ever have looking at the population makeups of certain countries, uh, the demographic shifts taking place. And, and so I've got some interesting little uh, resources here if people are, are interested in it. I found a website called uh, populationpyramid.net. And it's really cool. You can go in there and you pick any particular country and you've seen those population distribution pyramids. Like it shows how many 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20. Oh, You're, right. It, and in normal population distribution, is like a pyramid. The, there's more young people and yeah. then there's Less fewer old people. people. Mm -hmm. and, and that was very much the uh, agricultural and pre-industrial, pre-urbanization chart uh, of most populations. Today, a lot of those pyramids are turning into, what would you call maybe columns? Or hmm. tubes. <laughs> okay. They're, they're more vertical. The, the U.S. You know, maybe is a little curvy. Uh, but then as you, as you get into other countries, you're actually seeing these massive population collapses. And I, I was aware of some of these. Like I, I, I knew Canada had a very generous welfare system. So pensions, social security kind of stuff. And they'd had an aging population. And so their answer to it was, actually a very effective immigration policy where they let a lot of skilled, highly educated, professional people 
come into Canada and they've been working, earning, paying into and, and funding the pension systems in, in Canada for decades now. Japan is the other one that I was aware of. They, they had a very aging population. Yeah. I just looked at Japan's chart. It's like a, a, a spinning top, like where the top is nice and thick and the bottom is a nice little point to spin on. You know, very the, different The pyramid's shape. almost upside down. Yeah. Take, take a guess what the average age in Japan is. Ooh, uh, high, right? Like almost baby boomers? Yeah, it, it's getting on up there. 48.6 is wow. the average age in Japan. And the percentage of the population that is under 20 is down to 16.3%. Now, this, I'm is, this go- is why they're creating robots in Japan to like bring bring you, you know, water and service at restaurants and check you into hotels and all these kinds of things. They're embracing that so much because they just don't have enough people to to work, right? Oh, absolutely. And and you're kind of jumping ahead on, oh, on sorry. The, the, my solution. No, it's fine. But but we'll talk about that as, as one of the potential solutions. But the, the other thing that they have had to do is, you know, they, their car industry was, you know, huge. And you've got all the, uh, you know, Toyota, Nissan, the big, the big car companies. They can't manufacture in Japan anymore because they don't have the, the worker base to do it. So have you seen all of the uh, car manufacturing facilities that have come to the U.S. and to Europe? And basically, they're, they're just building the cars where the people are, where they can get the workers, and where their customers are. So Japan has actually been able to say, well, let's keep our companies, let, let's keep the economic engine going as best we can. And, and so they've been able to take their high tech, high quality, their absolute dominance in efficiency and, and, and uh, superior quality in manufacturing, and they've just moved it to other countries. And so the, the, the companies there are still making the money, but that, that's one way that, as an example, that Canada's dealt with this, that Japan's dealt with this. And it's interesting, you can watch I don't want to call Japan and Japan's in no means an insignificant economy. It's a large economy, but population wise, size wise, geography wise, you know, Canada's relatively you know, big geography, small population, Japan's small geography, bigger population, but, but they've, they were both significant, but not 800 pound gorilla in the, in the world economy type countries. So they, they've been they've found ways to do that, which is interesting because we don't really have a, a model for how an economy functions when you have this collapsing demographic. So the ones that really caught my attention that I was relative, uh, totally unaware of was Germany, Italy. You've got uh, Austria, Hong Kong, Greece, some of the these, these are the countries that are in the worst demographic shape that have high average ages, very small percentages of, of the populations that are under 20, and very long life expectancies. So think about that. The very problem that we've talked about with aging populations, straining pension systems, straining healthcare systems and, and funding, here you've got no workers, no young people to to produce and, and consume, and you've got a huge percentage of the population that's, you know, go, going into life expectancies in their 80s. So it, it'll be interesting to watch what what happens to those. And Peter Zihan is basically saying, the, the one that caught me at my attention was that Germany is is like toast. They're they're 
and Italy is done. Like Italy is, there's, they're past the point of uh, return as far as their their population. Not saying that politically and ec- economically these these countries are going away by any means, but just as big powerhouses as significance of Europe is, is going to decline very dramatically, and you're going to see little pockets uh, replace some of these countries that have been dominant in the past. Really interesting to look at um, kind of some of this data. I'm, I'm enjoying just sort of clicking around, looking at these different charts and, and graphs. If anybody wants to check this website out, by the way, for yourself, we can link to this in the show notes of today's show. It's also just uh, Population Pyramid. Dot net. Thanks for turning us on to uh, to that resource um, there, Brian. And also, you mentioned the Rules of Thumb episodes. We'll link to those as well. That was back episode 23 and 24. We did a two-parter on investor rules of thumb. And even though time-wise, that was a little ways ago, a lot of those principles and lessons will certainly still apply even today, even though the world's changed a lot probably since we recorded that episode a little bit, Brian. Uh, but we'll link to those in the show notes as well. So, uh, sounds like a lot has really captured your att- attention and jumped out to you in this in this book and caused you to kind of go down a, a whole bunch of very helpful rabbit holes, not not time waster rabbit holes, but helpful things. Oh yeah, because this is really going going to drive and impact how I view investments, broad indexing, swapping that out for more targeted, you know, country by country exposures. Maybe moving more. We'll, we'll talk about where I, where I think this is going here in a minute. But uh, the good news for the U.S. is multiple variables. But one of the big ideas is that our population's not collapsing like some of these other countries that we've just talked about. It's not growing. Our, our, we're definitely not a pyramid, but we do have the millennials. Obviously, the boomers are, are the, the one we've talked about so much. But then we also do have a, a fair amount of immigration, uh, suburbanization, actually uh allowed people to have more children in the U.S. compared to some of these super urbanized countries. Because as people move out of the country and into the cities, kids go from being free labor to like an expensive accessory. And so people just naturally have a lot fewer of them. They're you know busy working and stuff, so there's there's fewer opportunities to have them. And uh, that's one of the things that has really driven this population decline. The other thing, too, is just economic development. As countries and populations get richer, they do have fewer children. They care more about the environment. They they do want to have more free time and, and leisure things. So you're even seeing this in places like India, Bangladesh, places where populations were just exploding. You're actually seeing those curves begin to taper. So, yeah, you, you can spend a lot of time uh, geeking out on all those charts if you like. But the U.S. is actually in pretty good shape because we we do have uh, we still have a, a sizable base of young people. The millennials are finally having children and buying houses, and and that demand driven economy that we're so familiar with for the last 60, 70 years can continue in the U.S. There's probably going to have to be some immigration, and uh, I've got some other ideas and solutions down the road. But the U.S. remains very competitively positioned because we have the ability to feed our own population. We're food independent. We're energy independent. Uh, And this is the other topic that's come out is the shale revolution. All of the natural gas and just some of the cleanest, purest uh, oil is coming out of these shale deposits. If we can get over our Green New Deal, uh, clean energy 
delusion, I think you're going to see the, the U.S. come back to having lost or no longer needing their dependence on, on a lot of this foreign oil. So that, that's not getting a lot of airtime, but that's actually something that's in our favor. Lots of rivers, navigable waterways, we've got a highway and, and road system, and we're bordered by Canada and Mexico. To tie it back to the demographics, as you watch populations collapse around the world, you're going to see a lot of what we have done manufacturing-wise, uh, supply chain-wise, is going to move back to this this hemisphere. So that's just uh, wow. where I think this is headed. So how do you take all of these different little movements and apply them to those next steps? Like, uh, do you, you actually have investments that you look at that kind of anticipate those movements? Or it's just more of kind of watching the greater winds to, you know, not necessarily change the way that you plan and invest on a more micro level, but just uh, just more good for knowledge purposes? Sure. Well, let's, let's take two things. Let's just go back and look at inflation. And let's spend a little bit more time talking about China. I saw an interesting chart that tracked the consumer price index for the U.S. and Canada going back to 1940. And it showed the, you're basically getting the inflation rate. This is, this is an inflation rate chart. And we had a period a little bit during, and then especially right after World War II, where inflation was very high. When if you think about it, basically the world's infrastructure and industrial capacity had been decimated. And so, and then we, everybody came home and we had this, the, the birth of the baby boomers. So we had this sudden demand shift, you know, beginning to take place. We were in a very high inflationary environment from 1945 to about 1948. So there was four or five years there that inflation was very high, peaked a little bit, you know, again, flared up a little bit in the early fifties, probably as the kids were entering school, you had to build new capacity there, things like that. But then inflation really settled down in the 50s and in the 60s and did not rear its head again until the, you know, the 70s when we had, remember, the hyperinflation and stagflation and all those things. Well, if you map those two time periods in the 40s to 50s, that was the rebuilding of the industrial capacity in the U.S. and around the world. And then once that was kicked in and established, we had, we, we had the ability to deliver all the goods and services. But then once the boomers hit their 20s, 30s, and you know, we were into the mid-70s, yes, inflation can be driven by monetary policy. M money supply is a big factor. But I didn't realize what a big factor demographics were playing. Well, those were the peak demand years, peak consumption years for the boomers. Buying houses, like I said, kids, cars, clothes, all the you know, stuff that was going on. And so if you correlate the, the demographics to the, the, these two time periods, that was the first time I'd had it explained that way. And it really, it was really eye-opening. Well, then once we had, we hit the what, late 80s, early 90s, we've had this globalization heyday that has, you know, we've, we've been able to tap vast labor pools in China. We've had the U.S. basically enforcing the safety of the global shipping zones. And we've been able to trade anywhere with everybody. Anybody that had anything going on could participate in this global economy. And so we had this low inflation, uh, unlimited you know, supplies of 
affordable stuff coming from around the world and just a great time that, uh, again, Peter Zihan would argue is the best of times and the best that we'll probably ever see, which is a little scary, but there's a silver lining to this. But, but first, let's take a look at China. You know, I said China's peaking demographically. They implemented a one-child policy. And if you want to see something interesting, go look at the China population pyramid and look at the number of men versus women at all of the different age segments. And in the 45 to 49-year-old demographic, there's a few more men than women, 55 to 54. It's, it's about equally matched. In, in all those numbers above there, the population, the, the balance is, is fairly even between men and women. But when you get into the 45-year-olds and below, you start to see millions of headcount difference between men and women, like to the tune of, let's say, 20 to 25-year-olds. Uh, or, or yeah, 20, 25 year olds, th there's five, six, six million more men than there are women. Million. And it's like that what for year happening? after year during those periods. So that, that cumulatively, yeah. it becomes a larger and larger difference. Yeah. And, and, and what happened in China that would have caused this, A, this population decline and a skewing of the demographic to men. Do you remember? Oh, uh, well, you mentioned the one-child policy, but that seems like it should still be kind of 50-50, right? Yeah, it should be. But what happened? They aborted female babies, oh. infanticide, because they if they could only have one child, they wanted a male because that was going to be more... They, they met, I guess you know, they, they thought that was going to be somebody that was going to be better able to take care of them when they get old and, and, and things like that. And so now you're in a situation where they have tens of millions of men that are never going to find spouses because there aren't the women. Well, what do you think that's going to do to the literally population? Literally aren't having the numbers. It's literally not there. Yeah. It's, it's literally not there. And, and so they, they've, they've done away with, uh, the, they, they've decimated their birth rate to begin with, and then they've skewed it uh, through these other you know, practices, uh, hor horrible practices, if you ask me. Uh, that, that's that's going to further dampen their output, capability, consumption, all those things we talked about. Okay, so there's that. There's that demographic trend. And I would argue that China is collapsing. They're at this. I think we're going to also look back on this time period, COVID specifically, as a tipping point where we realize that we can't rely on China. I think the demographic trend is happening anyway. So these two mashing up, like it was going to happen anyway, but I think COVID is going to push us to this point where we're, we're going to move past our reliance on China. And th they implemented you know, lockdowns and they closed down entire cities and they closed ports. And well, guess what? All of our low and mid-tier manufacturing was all happening in China. Supply chains were totally dependent on the processing, manufacturing, and, and some of the raw materials coming out of China. So you're seeing a lot of companies begin to say, eh, maybe that's not such a good idea to be totally dependent on that 
one country or that side of the world for our supply chains, where could we go? What could we do to solve this problem? And it's very similar to what we saw in, um, you know, in Japan, if you remember back in the eighties, Japan was super export driven, go, go, boom, boom economy. They had all these dollars. They were buying up Rockefeller Plaza and U.S. companies. And everyone was like, oh, we're going to all be speaking Japanese and working for the Japanese. And then this population thing hit. And what happened? They've been in recession and stagnation for 30 plus years. So, so again, going back to your investments, we have to look at how this is going to play out, what kind of exposures uh, that you want. So anyway, um, the thing that I think is going to replace the China, Asia, globalized dominance that we've had for, for the last 30 years is going to be a migration of the supply chain back to this hemisphere. And Mexico, their labor is now price competitive is superior to, to Chinese, and they're actually better educated and better skilled as a workforce. Well, guess what? They're right in our backyard. We share a border with them. Shipping, transportation, uh, road systems across the border, agriculture. We're huge trading partners with, with Mexico. They're right here, and I think you're gonna see a ton of movement back to not only the US, but then very heavily uh, Mexico and into a more high tech degree Canada. And so you're going to end up with a economy and interconnectedness that probably resembles the early 1900s more so than it did the late 1900s. Good perspective on all of this, Brian. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, for the individual saver and investor, as they kind of uh, you know absorb as we've gotten into 2023 a little bit and looking ahead into the future, any uh, any wise words to leave folks with on today's episode as we sort of uh, kind of absorb all this world news and things that are swirling around us and thinking about our own personal retirements and financial futures? Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a quick uh, couple ideas for your portfolios. D don't invest in broad market international indexes. The countries I, I talked about, Germany, Italy, uh, Canada, England, you want to you try and avoid those. But there are places like France, Turkey, Argentina, and obviously Mexico, like I just talked about, where maybe country by country or even sectors within countries uh, will be the focus of my international portfolios uh, going forward. And um, you know, the other thing is we don't really have an idea of what economic model applies to this these big shifts happening in the in these huge countries demographically, so we need to keep an eye on that and see see what emerges and what opportunities arise as the production and capacity moves back to the Western Hemisphere. We could be looking at high inflation for the next three, four, five years. So I think everybody thinks that we're going to just get through this inflationary period. Rates are going to come back down, and and we're going to have cheap capital again, like we did in the before COVID hit, probably not. It, it, it's the boomers are retiring. They're taking money out, putting it in. You can get four and a half, five percent in uh, money market and CDs right now. So I'm seeing a ton of cash moving into uh, those assets because for the first time in a long time, you can actually get a respectable return on those. Uh, so that that will be a, a big shift that's happening. And then, um, like we said, robotics and technology. If there's going to be a solution to a worker shortage or a population collapse, the likes of Peter Diamandis and, and some of those guys, they, they think that 
robotics and artificial intelligence is potentially going to put you know millions and millions of people out of work. Well, guess what? That's a good thing because we're short millions and millions of, of people. We don't need to implement universal basic incomes for everybody. Uh, but what we do need to do, and I've said this before, is we need to have a program to incentivize the millennials and then the Gen Z behind them to have lots of children. And so all of the, this is my policy recommendation. So there, you got your portfolio recommendations. Here's my policy recommendation. We want to forgive student loan debt. Yeah, they're talking about give you know tens and tens of thousand dollar chunks sure. of, of student loan. Well, maybe they overpaid for education. Maybe it was all a little bit of a you know scamming by some of these universities to over overcharge for tuition because they had so much aid available. But all of these kids that are strapped with with too much college debt, scared to buy a house and have kids and, and all that for the cost, I think they should forgive up to, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of debt for each child that they have. So like kind of like a wow, we, we want to give away we, instead of just blanket for giving this <laughs> debt, put a carrot in there. If you are you're getting married, you're having kids, you're buying houses, and then all the stuff that comes behind all that needs to happen, and so incentivize that. So if I was king, that that's what I would implement. That's interesting though. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Kind of invest in the invest in the community around you and and we'll invest back in you with some loan forgiveness kind of thing. I mean, that'd be a trade I think more people could get on board with potentially. It would be it would continue to be inflationary for college tuition because it would just be a big giveaway to you know what's already part of the problem. But yeah. you know what, it, it, this is where we're at. This is the problem we have. Let, let's help that generation out. They they got whacked by the financial crisis. Housing has become unaffordable, uh, so let's let's do something to to get us back to moving in a in a forward direction, not, not let things just dwindle down to Japan. Hey, it's one idea, and uh, ideas and solutions uh, we we need them today. So there we go. Uh, well, that's some some great guidance, and uh, thanks for kind of taking us behind the curtain a little bit of what you're thinking in terms of how all this global stuff then impacts us as individuals. Hopefully, that gives some people some good ideas and directions of where to be thinking over the coming months here. So, if you want to talk a little bit more about your personal financial situation, keep in mind you can always reach out to Brian Doe, and if you want to get a handle on how to prioritize some of your financial goals and plan where and how to save, or maybe want help with investment management, and again to meet directly with Brian, Certified Financial Planner, you can do that by calling 706-451-9800. Brian has 20 plus years of experience. He's been through the ups and downs of the market, understands these larger movements and how they might impact you. And if you're new to the show and don't necessarily know what a Certified Financial Planner is, it's a good time to remind you that that certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning and CFP professionals have to meet rigorous educational training, ethical standards, and are also committed to serving their clients' best interests today to prepare you for a more secure tomorrow. And so again, if you want to meet with Brian, you can call that number 706-451-9800 or go to livingworth.com and click book a call 
and you can schedule a free 15-minute complimentary conversation with Brian. Get clarity around those financial goals. Call uh, 706-451-9800 or livingworth.com and click book a call. Brian, thanks for all the help on the show today. Love the in-depth dive into this data, and uh, we'll look forward to another new episode with you soon. Sounds great. Hopefully we'll see you in Colorado soon. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Penciling it into the calendar as we speak. (laughs) Great. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.